Hello, friends, and welcome to the Deeper Daily Podcast for the 30th day of September. I'm your host, Paul White. We bring to you today part two of an essay we started last month from a previously unreleased chapter titled, The Illusion of Separation. Here is part two and this month's essay edition. Franklin D. Roosevelt once said, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. His optimism brought inspiration to an American public paralyzed by the fear of the Great Depression. The Apostle Paul expressed his fear to be that as the serpent had deceived Eve, so he would deceive the church by his craftiness, and that their minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. 2 Corinthians 11.3 Paul's great fear for the church was that they would lose the war in their minds. The enemy, a liar from the beginning, is still trying to make complex what should be so simple. Christ in the believer. There is so much happening between the ears that is not the reality of the believer. We've been tricked, lied to, and duped by an enemy that is intent on destabilizing our minds. If we continue with the mental confusion, we inevitably fall asleep to who we really are. When this happens, we actually lose out on the life in which we should be walking. Paul exhorted the Corinthians to awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God, 1 Corinthians 15.34. When we lack the knowledge of God, what God thinks of us, we accept an illusion and are lulled to sleep. It is time for believers to just be. There is too much striving, working, and beating the air against the illusion of separation It is time to believe and receive what Christ has done by taking a closer look at Paul's powerful declaration in Colossians 1.21. To help us on the journey, we will examine it as four foundational pillars. Number one, alienated. Number two, enemy in your own mind. Number three, wicked works. Number four, reconciliation. As we proceed through a breakdown of each point, we will see the Holy Spirit through the writing of the Apostle, eliminate the possibility of us creating a gap between the believer and God. Together, we will see Christ's finished work as God's successful attempt to shatter the illusion. Number one, alienated. The gospel of Jesus Christ is good news. It declares that you are not only saved from the dominion of sin, but you're also alive to the life of God. When accepted, this awareness is supposed to eliminate the feeling of alienation. Unfortunately, due to worship songs void of victory, teaching aimed at personal improvement, and preaching focused on sin, many believers actually feel farther from God after they leave the church service. With our failures reinforced and the finished work hardly mentioned, our sense of condemnation is heightened and the illusion of separation is reinforced. We need a return to the simplicity of Christ in which we hear more about what is right with Jesus than what is wrong with us. There is nothing wrong with humanity that cannot be made right with what is good about Jesus, and everything is good about Jesus. The word translated alienated in our verse is from the Greek apolotrio. We looked at the interpretation a few paragraphs ago, but it's very important to note that's used in the perfect tense. A simple way to understand perfect tense is that it happened in the past and that it has continuing action in the present. Another biblical example of perfect tense would be Jesus' declaration, it is finished from the cross. 
what he accomplished then is still finished. The tense would indicate that we were alienated somewhere in the past and that we remain alienated. Why does this alienation remain? This goes back to our statement about the believer leaving a service in which their faults were magnified over Jesus' finished work. Having been made recognizant of our failure, we carry a sense of guilt, which leads to the illusion of separation. The carrying of this guilt works like a fallen domino on the rest of our lives. Where there is the sense of alienation, there will be the actions of a prodigal. The story of Cain from Genesis is helpful to understanding this sense of alienation. Consider that Adam and Eve passed an awareness of sin onto their children. Perhaps they even passed a sense of separation from God onto their boys as well. We have no idea how they actually communicated with the children, but we do know that Cain and Abel were both aware of the sacrificial system. It's unlikely that they had a theological understanding of the need for blood or death, but they did sense the need to reach out to God. We know the story. Abel offered a choice lamb from his flock, while Cain offered the fruit of the field. It is contextually incorrect to fault Cain for offering a sacrifice without blood, for such a command would not appear from God until the giving of the law. Even then, God accepted different sacrifices from the Israelites that contained no blood. Hebrews gives insight, stating that Cain's sacrifice was not accepted because, unlike his brother Abel, he did not offer it by faith. Hebrews 11.4 And verse 6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please him. At some point in his life, Cain recognized a sense of separation from God. This sense was so powerful that when God questioned Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your countenance falling? If you do well, will you not be accepted? Genesis 4, verses 6 and 7. Cain ignored God and spoke to Abel instead. Perhaps his illusion of separation was so great, he felt unworthy to speak to God. Alienation breeds anger. This anger is then directed toward family, church, society, and even God. In the political world, the sense of alienation plants the seeds of revolt and distrust of government. In the church... It chokes out the life of God and leaves one disillusioned and unsatisfied. The good news is that there is no such thing as a true alien in the eyes of God. Everyone has been paid for through Jesus and his death on the cross. No one wanders. No one is separated. Any separation from God that man feels is on their own part, not on the part of their father. Hebrews tells us that God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, I will not fear. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. I emphasize the middle of the verse so you'll catch it. He has said that he will not leave you so that you may boldly declare that there is nothing to fear. Number two, enemies in your mind. Quick Q&A. Where are you an enemy? The answer is only in your mind. You are not God's enemy. It is all in your head. Only in your mind are you separated and cut off. Change your mind, change your life. Remember Isaiah 59.2 from earlier. Our iniquities did not separate God from us. They separated us from God. Why didn't God leave? Because he will never leave you nor forsake you. God has been ripped off in the annals of man. Man is the separator, not God. People often have a lifestyle in which they alienate themselves from God. 
and then they blame God for abandoning them. Consider the prodigal son who took his inheritance and wasted it on riotous living, whores, and drunkenness. He found himself feeding hogs so hungry that he lusted after their food. He came to his senses and decided to go home. The father did not put him on probation or reject him, for it was not the father who had abandoned the son. It took a total change of mindset for the boy to return, and even then his thinking wasn't perfect. It must have been an exciting moment when he finally realized that he was an enemy of his father only in his own mind. Turn the light on. God is not your enemy. If a believer misses this, he remains an enemy in his mind. We stop there for this month, and on next month's essay, we'll complete these four segments with numbers three and four, finishing off our unreleased chapter, The Illusion of Separation. Until next time, grace to you.